Welcome to the Food Junkies Podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. Welcome to the Food Junkies podcast. On today's episode, Clarissa and I sit down with another Swedish colleague, Annika Strandberg-Schmidt. You may know her from her YouTube channel, Sugar Free Living, or from Bitten Johnson's Facebook group, Sugar Bomb in Your Brain. Listen in as she shares her personal and professional journeys with us, what it has been like being a food addiction professional in Sweden, how she works with clients, about the book she's working on, and what she would tell a younger version of herself about sugar and processed foods. As always, thank you for tuning in and welcome, Annika. So Annika, can you share your personal story with us and your aha moment when it came to you discovering you were a food addict? Oh, wow. Well, my personal story, I think I've been an addict since I was a little child, a food addict, really. Uh, I've got stories told from my mother that I was, uh, as a little girl, I uh, I ate so much, I almost threw up. And then the next day I went back and kept eating, you know. And I have a history with, uh, uh, should you call it eating disorder, you know, under eating and overeating and doing all kinds of uh, diets and exercising and so on. And uh, I really did understand that something was wrong with the way I related to food because I couldn't stop or I couldn't stay stopped, you know, making decisions every Monday or every new year or whatever, you know, this, I'm going to lose some weight and I'm starting my exercise and, you know, and I really couldn't do it until the next day or anything. I just, you know, fell down in the end. But as I was, I don't know, I don't know how old I were, but um, I read in a newspaper about um, a woman here in Sweden who was kind of famous. She's an actress and uh, and she 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 had um, a contact with Bitten and told about sugar addiction in this article in the newspaper. And she had this, um, I don't know, the uncope that we uh, often talk about is the screening. If, if you have a sugar addiction, you might have these. Uh, consequences and I could check all all the six questions and I was like yes 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 I do all this and I realized that there is something called sugar addiction because I could my mother often said that well you know I'm like an alcoholic with food you know and I could relate to that I'm I'm the same way you know and then I realized that there is something called sugar addiction it might be a disease or something that I can't help you know but from from that point, I think it took me another 10 years before I really asked for help. And uh, those 10 years, you know, I was up and down in weight and my my journey with my, my uh, fit, not physical, but how do you say it? Um, my mental health was, I wasn't in a very bad mood and feeling low and feeling blue. And, you know, I really, uh, I couldn't get myself started to doing anything or, or so on. But in the end, I, I ended up, you know, uh, being suicidal. And I had had I had read about at that time the book was called Potato, not Prozac or something. It's what uh, Kathleen Desmazen had written the book, and I thought it was only about putting away the um, the gluten stuff. 
But then when I was sitting in the in the end of my uh, disease, so to say, I was sitting at my table, my kitchen table. I had two wonderful kids. They were uh, three and five, and we just bought a house and we had some cattle in the barn. And, you know, from outside, everything looked so nice. And I was like, oh, you you have to be so happy, you know, but I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't have anything uh, to, to live for because everything was about food and diets and how to lose weight. And does he like me? Does she like me? Where are my friends? You know, my life was upside down on the inside. But then I realized, well, maybe this book, you know, I was sitting at the kitchen table and writing my letters for my kids and my husband because I decided that I didn't want to live anymore. And uh, this book came to mind and I was like, well, maybe, maybe I should try it, you know, once more. Just read this book and see if there is something that could help me because it's not like I want to die. I just don't want to live <laughs> if you get the point. But uh, I started reading the book and I, I kind of got the idea that, wow, the food is doing something to me and I couldn't finger point it right then. But from there, I don't remember how it was, but I heard about Bitten and somehow I went to a 12-step meeting and they told me to ask for help, you know, in the community here, in the area where I, where I live. And I'm almost crying when I'm <laughs> thinking about it. But I, it ended up that I got one as a week um, with Bitten and then 10 weeks in the in the area here where I live, uh, I was uh, going together with other al alcohol, alcoholics and narco uh, narcotics and so on. And uh, that really helped me survive, you know, having all the knowledge from Bitten about food and food addiction together with this 12 steps and everything. And that's, that's why I'm sitting here today or being able to talk to you. That's how I survived, really. And going from surviving to living. That Thank was you. a story. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Thank you so much for sharing. I didn't know that part of your story. And I just, uh, I could relate to so much of it. Thank you so much for sharing that deeply personal story. So after you decided to get abstinent, how did you transition your family into this? This is how mom's living now. And how did your relationships change with your family members because of the way you are eating now well you said transition I think that's a word when it's going slowly in some way I don't know I just came home and dropped the bomb you know this is <laughs> well at least it was for me I tried to be gentle with the kids but you know when I came home and I realized I had all this knowledge about what the food is doing to me and what it's doing to other people as well because I, I had met so many people who didn't feel well because of the way they ate and the things that they ate. So I really realized that I had to do something, but I was, and I don't know, maybe it's my higher power, if you should put it that way, that really told me that I have to put myself first. I have to uh, stay stopped and I have to build on my own recovery before I dive into doing any big changes with my family. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't keep myself from, from doing some things, but uh, I really needed the first time just to take care of myself because I was so unsteady, you know, I should every week, it was, <laughs> there is a Saturday every week and the other keep eating the things that I shouldn't eat and so on. So I just had to be really stable before I could make the big changes together with my kids. So I, I tried to, well, in some areas there was a transition and I just told them that this is the way I need to eat and this is the way it has to be. You know, the bread that they were eating, they had to put it in the refrigerator 
uh, outdoor because we have a farm. So we have places all over where we can storage our food. And you're only allowed to pick out and to, to go and get the bread uh, that you are eating for today. You can ha- fetch it and eat it, but don't have it in, in our kitchen, you know, and those kinds of stuff. So they were kind of confused. And, and um, my husband and my two oldest children, they kind of just had to, you know, I dropped the bomb and they had to adjust to that. And the other family, the extended family with my parents and my my husband's parents, they I think they had a hard time really uh, in the beginning. But uh, but during the years, they kind of accepted it, that this is the way it is. (laughs) Yeah, they they realized that this isn't just another diet that Annika's doing, right? That this is, uh, she, she might actually be in this for the long haul. And then they start believing and trusting that this is what you're gonna do. How did the relationships with your family members change from previous to being abstinent to after then being in recovery? Like, how did you relate differently to your kids, to your partner? Can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, I think the big difference is that I'm here and now. Uh, There was a time when I started in recovery, I was really into, you know, the 12 steps and all the reading and the education when I became a sugar addict uh, therapist and or addiction therapist. And uh, I think that was kind of confusing and a hard time for my family because I was so into it, you know. So I kind of, you know, changed my food for my recovery work, so to say. But in the end, they they started uh, seeing my, the change in me and my recovery and so on. So I remember the first time when my oldest daughter uh, really, you know, got the point. She, I was angry with her. And she was, you know, turning to me and saying, mama, go and call someone, you know. (laughs) And that's when she realized that when I was making the phone calls and I was going to the meetings and all this, that made me feel good and it made me a better parent or a better mama. So that's how I realized it was changing. And and, uh, all my family now, they are helping me putting my recovery first because then they know that I'm I'm alive and I'm together with them and I'm being here and now and and being present together with them. That's the big difference. And yeah, there are so many things, you know, Uh, when I don't have to hide behind fears or, or anything, I can just, you know, be honest and apologize for things that I'm doing and not telling everyone else it's their fault. And, you know, uh, things that I did before I keep doing it, but I'm, I can go back and make it better now. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. And I think, I mean, I can so relate when you're talking about like just that difference between like kind of being that absent or, you know, I don't know if absence the right word, but kind of right. Like that absent parent where like when our thoughts are consumed by what am I going to eat? When am I going to eat it? What's in the house? Do I need to go to the store? What am I going to cook? You know, all those different things. We're not present with our family members. We're not sitting with our children playing in the dirt or, making memories, right? We're getting cranky at them for showing up and interrupting our, our food thoughts or our, our time of eating or whatever it might be, you know, and just hearing your story and your true lived experience, you know, now being in recovery for many years, you know, what would you say to some of those professionals, whether they're dietitians or doctors or even like influencers or therapists, you know, that claim that this is a real, this is a restrictive way of eating. And it maybe creates a, you know, quote unquote, unhealthy relationship with all foods. I mean, what would you say to them? Well, I don't have words, I think. (laughs) 
I I feel like I'm being I'm getting upset. I'm getting angry because it feels like this way of eating is the only way that can make me feel alive. If I'm not doing this restriction that they call it, then I'm not able to live, you know, because then my thoughts are all over the place about, like you said just before, when to eat, how to eat, shall I hide in my bathroom so no one else can see me, when I can I go shopping and so on. So this restriction, it's not like it's not like a for- forbidden thing. I can do it, but I don't want to do it. But I think that's the difference because when when you start recovery, it's like, I'm not allowed to, I'm not allowed to, I'm not allowed to, you know. And then you end up to, well, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And then in the end, you can just like, well, I don't have to do it. And then it's not restriction anymore. Then it's freedom. And I think, I, I mean, there are so many ways, especially here in Sweden, when you have in school, you have the free meals and, and the kids can eat in school. And, and I think it's great, really. It's a great thought but on the other hand we're not able to choose if there are pasta then my children eat pasta and I don't want them to eat it you know so I think I should be able to restrict if I want to because that will make me and my children feel so much better so uh, it's like I said I don't know really what to say but to me it's not restriction it's freedom Yeah, it's like allows us to have that peace with food where it's actually, we start to actually build a healthy relationship. It's not an unhealthy relationship. It starts to be something that we don't obsess about and we can have in our life and it doesn't control our life. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So what made you decide to become a food addiction professional? My need to help others. I don't know if it's a healthy need, but well, it is. I I really thought that this is such an important knowledge, you know, and there are so many people telling that you should, you shouldn't restrict or you should, you should be able to eat a small amount of everything and so on. And when I realized that I'm not able to eat a small amount of sugar or flour and, or anything, and this is the way of living that can help people from being suicidal like I was going to a, a, a life where you want to live, you want to grow, you're curious, you're happy, you're joyous and free. And, and I mean, isn't that very important <laughs> to tell other people about it? I mean, it's something that I, it just came from deep inside of me that I needed to tell everybody, Not well, not everybody. Now I, I realize that I can't tell everybody, but the one who wants to hear it and the one who's ready to hear it. And it's so important because uh, all over all over the world or all over in, all, all over Sweden, it's still, you know, the things that you shouldn't restrict or you should eat small amounts or everything and so on. And it's so important that people learn that there is another way of living and that's okay. And you can, yeah, with the knowledge and there is not only the, the addiction part, you know, that, that you can recover from sugar addiction, but also so many other diseases, I mean, that you can heal from with good food, good food, good mood, you know? Yeah. And I, I just, I, I think that I'm right on, I'm again, Annika, I think so much of your story just lands for me because right. It's like, once we have this knowledge and we've had this lived experience, it's so hard not to want to share that in mm-hmm. some way. And so, like you said, you're a helper and you're a giver. And so you're of course out there just you know, giving this stuff for free in some ways. And we'll talk about that later for sure. But obviously like as a food addiction professional showing up and people come and pay for services, you know, so, so talk to us about 
you know, how, you know, we know Bitten's in Sweden and she's the big Swedish sugar guru, we call her, you know, and, and she's very vocal, that kind of thing. But I mean, tell us really like, how is food addiction or sugar addiction being received in Sweden? Is there pushback? Like, do you have backlash or people who come at you and say, this isn't real, stop doing what you're doing or make that, or maybe they show up and make it hard for you to do the work that you want to do. I really think that Bitten has has made it. Um, she took the hardest uh, stroke um, hits, so to say, and I'm not in front like she has been. But of course, there are people uh, all over that really says that this isn't true. That there is nothing uh, that existing uh, the sugar uh, sugar addiction isn't true. And yeah, there are there are pushbacks, but I've been lucky not to to be in the on the front line and having all the the hits, you know. But I know that Bitten had has taken a, a lot of hard work and and many hits along the way or rocks along the way, because the common the common thought is that you should eat everything and sugar addiction isn't for real. And I had an that was when when my kids when I um, early in my recovery I was. Um, I wasn't able to work because I was very ill, and uh, the insurance company that we that we um, uh, my family have they told me that I I wasn't having any money from the insurance because uh, I had um, well uh, well I was pointing at my sugar addiction and, and telling that this is because of my sugar addiction, but they said it's because of my mental health. And then I didn't have any money from the insurance company. So those are the kind of things that you can meet on a personal level. I mean, when when uh, when they don't accept sugar addiction as the disease, you, you kind of you know it's like a free fall, you know. And if they can relate it to something else, then it's it doesn't exist, kind of. But the, it feels like it's an it's an underground movement, you know, uh, the sugar addiction recovery uh, people, and it's it's growing and it's getting bigger. And I know from this, um, this this years that I've been in recovery, in the beginning when I was in recovery, I was very unsteady because I, I felt so alone. And you know, the way of eating that I'm eating, it was so new and everybody kept telling me it was dangerous and so on. But now it's a, it's kind of a movement and it's like everybody's okay with the way I'm eating, not everybody, but most. <laughs> so I think it's going the right way, but I would like it to go a bit faster. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I mean, when you speaking to the fact that like they wouldn't cover you while you were off work because of sugar addiction is exactly why it's so important for us to get it in the DSM, ICD, so treatment for people can be covered, but it can also be recognized for the mental health uh, disease that it is. And we can, because it is all consuming, it is no different than alcohol or drugs. And so it needs to be validated for sure. So can you speak to us a bit about your practice? Who are the clients you work with and how do you work with them? Well, I'm working with sugar addicts. <laughs> of course, food addicts, carb addicts, whatever you call them. Well, right now I'm, I'm working together with a, a company when I'm having my clients uh, together with a company called Sugar School. Uh, well, in Swedish, it's Socker Skolan. They're planning to go in English, but they're not there yet. But I'm doing uh, one-on-one and I'm doing uh, biochemical repair and food plans. And also they have, now I lost the word in English, when you get help with a group and treatment. That's the word. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
<laughs> and I'm also working with treatment in, in groups. And um, I think that's a great way to recover. And my specialty, uh, my specialty in, in this field is uh, children, to work with children. Uh, well, not I shouldn't say children alone because it's a family. You have to work with the family. Yeah, which it's that's in high need right now. And and I know we talked a little bit about this the other day, you know, when we got together for a YouTube video with you. And um, we just have been just so many people have been popping out of the woodwork. I don't know where they have been, but all of a sudden everybody's like, hey, I'm a parent. What do I do? And so, yeah, we're really wondering, you know, like what are some basic, you know, kind of like getting started guidelines that we could give parents who maybe are working on their own recovery, or maybe they notice, hey, my children are into the sugar and flour and carbs just a little too much, and we're concerned. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this for, obviously, for a long time. (laughs) But I know there are so many groups and so many ways to approach this. And the most important thing is that you are grounded yourself in what you are doing. So your own recovery first is very, very important. And when you start doing changes, you need to be grounded in the decisions you are making. Like for me, my kids aren't sugar-free. My youngest daughter, she was born when I was in recovery and she didn't have sugar or flour or anything until she was four years old. But then I had recovered for four or five years or something before she was born. And um, I think that some some parents just choose to go, you know, off sugar and off flour and they're just, they're just fine with it. And other parents, they have maybe a bit of insecurity or they have another life situation or so on, which makes them, un- they can't do and go, go all the way, so to say, to, to, to start with. What I'm thinking, I'm trying to help parents to be unperfect, if you, if you get what I mean, <laughs> just to be where you are and to do the best thing you can right now. And one thing that I I always say to start with is to add things. Don't take things away because you add uh, good protein and you add good fats and you add good habits and so on. And then you can start taking things away, you know, cutting down on sugar or cutting down on flour or whatever. Kind of maybe start mixing, you know, if you have jam, you can mix them with with berries and, you know, you, you make the transition slowly. So the children are the the taste, uh, what is it, taste buds or whatever it is, they kind of, you know, get get, uh, adjusted so they don't, you know, drop the sweet all the time. And I think that's more important with children than with grown-ups because a grown-up can go cold turkey if if they decided they can can do it. But if, I mean, some children, they really don't choose it for themselves. So we have to be gentle and we have to make it fun. Teach them about uh, nourishment, you know, about what good food does. Uh, like I said, good food, good mood. And you can help children relate to, okay, you had a, a, a plate of pasta before and now you're lying on the floor screaming. Do you think maybe it could have something to do <laughs> with, with that, you know? Not being shameful or anything, but just pointing out that the food you are eating might uh, affect the way you're feeling. But to start with, add things, just add things, add things, not to have the, the feeling that you are taking things away or a good food from that the children like, and then make slow transition. And I, I always think it's good to have support from other parents. 
that's one of the things that I missed when I went in recovery and I realized that, wow, I have two kids here that I really need some help with and I didn't know where to go because all the books I was reading was was still about moderation, you know, and it didn't talk about addiction and I was so scared. I was so scared and so lonely. So that's why I started working with kids because I realized that parents need some kind of support and it doesn't have to be the take everything away and be a perfect parent. It, it needs to be on the level where the parent is, so to say. So then what would you do for like a parent who would come in and maybe they really are concerned about their child and think they have an issue, potentially food addiction, sugar addiction, and they're also very picky eaters. Like I'm thinking specifically right now about my lovely niece, Margot, who just is like peanut butter spoon, peanut butter wrap, peanut butter everything, and it's not the natural peanut butter. Like how would you approach working with a young client like that? Well, picky eaters always need a lot of things to be able to choose. It's like a buffet is that the right word yeah to put out many things you know like I did last Saturday with my kids here and and um my kids my oldest are 17 and 19 so they're not kids anymore but my youngest girl she's she's 10 no she's 11 and she had a a friend over (laughs) and then I made a buffet from sausages and meatballs and tomatoes and you know uh, things that I know uh, that children usually likes, you know, and you could even put the the peanut butter or whatever it is, and then maybe mix it with, with better peanut butter and make this slow transition and so on. But they need to be able to pick and choose in a way so they can be in charge. Well, they think they are in charge of what they're eating. (laughs) They're the one to choose, but you are the one who put the choices on the table. And, um, I think that's very important because, um, I know there, there's some, um, an author here in Sweden, or he's a, it's a, he's a child, uh, was a child psychologist, and he was talking about uh, children and saying, you know, with the food that usually your own children, uh, you never ask them what they want to eat. You put the food on the table and you say, well, this is what we eat. But if they are having a, a friend over, we're kind of, well, what would you like to eat? You know, and very important that the, the kid that they're visiting us once get the foods that they like, you know? So I think for a picky eater, uh, even more, it's important to have a lot of choices. And then it might be, you know, well, I have so many ideas, you know, so many thoughts. <laughs> it's my, It might be like, you know, okay, if you, uh, you know, try this out, uh, maybe protein or kind of fat or the, uh, the peanut butter, like you had for an example and, and mix it. And if you try this out, well, could, we could make... Um, uh, reward charge, you know, okay, we'll put a star in here. And when you have five stars, we can go for uh, an adventure walk or, you know, do something because they need, their taste buds need so many times to try it out before they really accept that this is a new taste and this taste is okay, you know. So uh, I'm full of ideas. <laughs> I love it. I love it. When my, my children are a little bit younger than yours, they're eight and five, but when they were even younger, you know, we would go to like the dollar store and buy ice cube trays and then, right. So then they could like put, you know, what are there like 12 ice cubes or something? I don't even know how many there are, but you know, they could like fill each little container with like a little like thing. And so then they had to like try these different things. And we always say, you know, you have to try these things so many times before you decide if you like them or not. And we're always trying like different ways with them. Like, 
Maybe it's roasted cauliflower and broccoli versus just raw, although they prefer the raw, which is fine. But, you know, like just those different things or like trying with some Parmesan cheese on them or something, right? Like just different ways to try to get them to actually just experience different flavors, more of the bitter things versus the sweet things and all the, and so I love it, Annika. I think, I think our listeners need to hear this and and they need to hear your ideas. So please don't ever stop sharing them (laughs) for sure. So on that same, you know, kind of like line of thinking there, what are your thoughts on dairy for children? Like, is it really necessary for them to consume dairy? Actually, I don't think it is. No, I don't think it is. And usually uh, it depends on what child, of course, and what kind of reaction they have to it. But many children that I worked with uh, or um, talked to others uh, about that eat diary, they they really can't, their body can't handle it or their brain can't handle it because it, it's, it makes an, I would say morphine, but that's not right. Yeah, like but, a depressant effect. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of like that, and and it's uh, and especially if they have ADHD or or something like that, they can react to diary in in this special way that makes them very explosive, or uh, in in the same way that they react to sugar, really. So I don't think it's necessary. Usually, to start with, I'm I'm keeping the diary on, unless it's not a diagnosis or something. Then I I usually give them the advice to try to take it away for a while. But I, uh, no, I don't think it's necessary. And I don't know all the words in English, but there are so many, you know, good things that they say that that the diary has, but you can get it in other ways. Yeah, from, I think they even said like, you can get more calcium in spinach or, you know, foods like that. And I think it's also important just to examine like, what is the child's relationship with the dairy? Are they throwing a tantrum when they can't have it? Because that's going to speak to what that dairy is actually doing for them emotionally and mentally, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was also thinking about, well, that doesn't have to do with the diary, uh, actually, but I remember... I don't know if it was if it was in your podcast, but someone uh, was uh, Dr. Robert Lustig, I think. He was saying that some children doesn't have the reaction to sugar, you know, that they don't have the tantrums and all this stuff. They, it's, nothing happens when they eat sugar. But if this is the if this is the way, then they are probably insulin resistant already. So I'm like, okay, I want my children to have tantrums when they eat sugar, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there are so many ways to to find out new new um, knowledge. I mean, about sugar and and its effects and diary, of course. Absolutely. So if I'm a parent and I come to you and I'm really concerned that my child has food addiction, do you have a diagnostic tool for it? And how would you help me guide my child into? recovery, especially with the extra challenges of like birthday parties and school. Like you said, you can't control what they eat uh, when the meals are provided for free. Like how do I help keep my child safe if food addiction is really something they're struggling with? Well, the bitter truth is that you can, well, at least, at least not here in Sweden, you can't have them of uh, all of sugar, especially not in school because they, they are, they kind of have to eat the, the food that they are eating in school. But I would uh, work with you as a parent and make make your 
secure kind of as um, I mean uh, give you strength to stay to stay in these feelings that it, that it is having a child that that you think have an addiction but we don't have the the um, the tools for having a diagnosis that a child has a sugar addiction it's not like we can we can't use the the sugar tool for a child we're trying to make um a sugar young for younger people but we don't have them for kids and i think it's important to don't put the label on a kid you know you you can help them to like i said before have the rela- the relation between what i eat and how i feel and of course that doesn't matter if you don't have the tools i mean i could relate that i was feeling ill when i was eating sugar and flour but i still didn't have the tools but these are the ways that i can help uh, parents, you know, give the children the tools. How can I teach them to to learn about nourishment? What tools can I use there? And how can I add good things? What kind of food are are good for my children, and so on? So it's not like sometimes I feel like you know <laughs> I I'm not doing a god good job because I can't have the children sugar free. But I think I think my job really is to support the parents to to be able to deal with all this with all this stuff and for those parents who have the strength and the energy to go and 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 fight with the authorities i i'm i'm behind them 100 percent. but i need to be there for the the big mess so to say <laughs> so yeah, yeah it, maybe it wasn't a clear answer but i'm trying to support the the parents as much as i can No, it's a great answer, you know, because as, again, as a parent myself, like I, you know, not that I have this concern about my children for sure, but I'm kind of maybe because it's my line of work too, right. I'm a little bit hyper alert to it, knowing, you know, I come from a genetic line of addiction. It shows up in me. It makes sense that it would show up in my children and then just kind of always trying to be on it, but not trying to be like that hyper, you know, like hovering parent that's like, oh, don't eat that. That's too much at the right. Like not trying to create an issue where there isn't one, but to have more of that conversation, like you were saying, like, you know, you're having a fit right now. Do you think it could have been all the candy you just snuck from the top of the refrigerator because you were afraid I would say no, you know, or whatever it might be, right? Because kids do kid things and not always because they're doing those behaviors that we as food addicts did as children, does that mean that they are or will become, right? It's just trying to have those conversations in a way that is helpful for them and doesn't cause this whole like shutdown and this lack of communication between parents and children. So, you know, what, what are the biggest challenges that you maybe have personally experienced or you see with the clients you work with, you know, when parents are, are trying to work on their own recovery while changing that home food environment? I think the biggest problem is that they lose their their own the the priority so to say they're working so much with their children so they lose track of their own recovery so to say but the the most challenging thing for me when I meet a parent is to a, a parent contacting me saying that hey my my child is a sugar addict I need to help I I need help with them and I realized during the work that the parent isn't sugar addict and doesn't have the knowledge about it that's a very difficult situation to me because if the parent doesn't have the recovery on, in place, then we can't help the child. Well, can't is that's not true, but it's very difficult anyway. But I think the challenge that I see when I ask because I have a group here in in Sweden for uh, a Facebook a Facebook group where parents get together and discuss um, 
all kinds of subjects with children and sugar and so on. And I, I really put the question out, what do you think it's the most difficult thing to deal with? And that's the school situation, kindergarten, and, uh, you know, going to birthday parties and maybe their parents and so on, grandparents and so on. So it's really meeting the rest of the society and doing something that isn't so socially correct, so to say. I think that's the biggest issue or the, the most difficult situation. Yeah, it's certainly a challenge and and having to like explain to, you know, other parents why you don't want your children to eat these things. It it just becomes, you know, very hassling and you almost feel like you're being too controlling, but meanwhile, you're really just trying to keep your kids safe because you know what's better and you're actually trying to save save their lives in a in a way, right? Yeah, that's true. And I mean, for for us who are sugar addicts and have been through this journey, and I mean, not, not all of us have been suicidal, of course, but I think we, we, we've suffered in a way and we don't want our children to suffer. And of course, other parents who hasn't been through this journey, they don't understand that a little a little snack isn't that dangerous, you know. And for me, it feels like I'm throwing them into, I don't know, the, the hellhole or something, you know. It isn't yeah. a like it isn't it's like I said to me food isn't love you know food can be very very dangerous and I need to find other ways to give my children love I, I and feeding them this kind of food isn't love that is amazing I love that answer so much I had I heard a little rumor you are working on a new project and I think this is so needed in this field can you tell our listeners a little bit about it and uh, what you're working on right now Yeah I'm working on well I'm I ha- I have been writing for a couple of years <laughs> on a book uh regarding uh, children and and sugar uh, I shouldn't say children and sugar addiction but of course that's the the ground so to say the base and I have, um, I'm trying to get into getting it out. I'm working together with them. And I lost the word again. <laughs> like a publisher. Editor. Publisher. Yeah. Publisher, yeah. I'm working together with the publisher. And hopefully uh, this year I'll have the book out. And it's a book about sugar addiction, of course, and, and children and, and how you can, how you know, or how you can tell. It's not diagnosis, but I mean some symptoms from if your your child your child might be a sugar addict if they have you know blah 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 and there are some recipes and some advices what you can do instead of eating when you have all this uh, you know christmas and easter and you know all the halloween and all this stuff and you can have some alternatives what you can do instead and knowledge about addiction as a disease and also being an adult child. I don't know. Maybe not your listeners aren't all, all, all um, doesn't know all about this, but if you're an addict, you might have a, a kind of frozen childhood and you're being an adult on the outside, but not on the inside. You're still a child. And it's very difficult for a child to be a parent sometimes. That's also a, a part that I'm trying to cover here because I can see that in a lot of parents, maybe difficulties to make choices and, and difficulties to be an authority in front of your kids because you don't like authorities and so on. That's also one part that the, I'm trying to cover in the book. And uh, I really I really enjoy writing the book and I'm, I'm waiting for it to get out in the, in the market. <laughs> So that's the biggest project. And then I'm having my YouTube channel and I have you ladies on it and I love it. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, it's both in Swedish and English. And now it's been mostly in, in English that I'm trying to have um, both languages in there. And I'm writing on my blog in Swedish and I'm having my Instagram. Yeah, I'm all over the place. <laughs> No, it's great. You have so many gifts to share. And I was even going to say, okay, so for those of us who, I mean, I've tried to learn a second language. It just, my mouth just won't do it. I don't know why it just won't. So for those of us who don't speak Swedish, you know, how could we get some of that same information, those valuable jewels that, that you're writing in this book? Will, can we expect them maybe as an English blog post or YouTube videos, like little shorts or anything like that? Do you have any plans for giving us any information in English? About children and sugar, you mean? Yeah, like what's it, whatever is going to be in your book. Because those things that you just said are so spot on. I'm like, my brain is on fire because that, the thing you said about like childhood being frozen and being like, you look like an adult on the outside, but on the inside, you know, like that's that's classic growing up in that chemically dependent or, or addicted addiction family, right? And so those kinds of things, that information's needed. How do you plan to share that in English? No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Yeah, I've been trying to do it on my YouTube channel. I, I just have to figure out uh, how I can put YouTube on it as well, you know, when I'm doing the information. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm 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 planning on it. I, I'm having that on my schedule, on my mind schedule, you know, to to share it there because I think it's important. And it's like I said, I think I think one of the most important I think I need to 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 learn or to teach is to be imperfect, you know. And not to be scared when I see that my children might have a sugar addiction, not to be so scared that I'm, you know, throwing myself off the, the train, just to, uh, you know, stay stopped and keep on, on doing my recovery and feel safe that my children have their journey and I can be a, a role model if they need it and if they want it, I'm I'm here, you know. So I'm planning on doing doing it on YouTube, but I haven't, uh, I haven't really scheduled the dates yet. <laughs> You have an amazing grasp of the English language. Like when you're like, oh, I don't have the words. I'm like, you have all the words. Like I am so impressed with how fluent you are when English isn't your first language. And I know how difficult the translation piece can be. So it's definitely something we'll find a way to support you on the YouTube channel, whatever it is, Annika, your message is important and we want people to hear it. So we're going to link in the show notes, all of the places that people can can find your information and we're going to ask you our signature question. If you could tell a younger version of yourself something about processed food addiction, sugar addiction, you know, food in general, what would that be? What would you tell yourself? Little Annika. A little Annika, I think I would tell me her that there is something called sugar addiction. And that there is a disease. It's not your fault that you are acting this way and that there is a solution. I think that's what I would tell her and just, you know, comfort her in being this lost in herself kind of. But just knowing that there is a name on this thing that I'm doing and that there is recovery or tools to, to handle it with. I think that would really have helped me uh, when I was a young, a young girl, when I was really feeling starting feeling down if someone then would have told me that there is a solution and this is called sugar addiction that would have helped me early on 
Yeah, it definitely is so true. And it gives us like so much more hope for future generations that we're able to get this kind of messaging out there now that when we were little wasn't available to us and we didn't even know it was a thing. So now that there's books and like even mainstream media is starting to talk about the dangers of sugar, it is the word is getting out there. It's really going to be hard to ignore. Yes. And that's good. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for contributing to that, you know, that conversation, that global conversation that's happening. You know, it's, it's because of people like you and our other guests that come on here and, you know, are willing to share their stories and, and how they started and where they are now and how they got there and what they do to maintain that and, and how you work with people and giving these tips and tools for our listeners, you know, that's, we're just so appreciative that you're willing to do that and just keep, you know, putting that out there and, you know, spreading the good word, so to speak. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Annika. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.